you guys will roll out of here. Well, I have a lot to cover, so I'm going to ask you guys to listen quickly. I know I was talking to somebody on the phone, uh, Famico, and she was like, you talk fast. I was like, I'm sorry, I do talk fast. <laughs> I'm going to do my best to, to slow down, but listen quickly if you would. Um, so last week we were closing out Joshua chapter number eight, and what we saw in that um, message was really Joshua leading the people to come to a place of dedication. They were dedicating themselves to God and dedicating themselves to his word. That message, the subtitle of that message was the Valley of Decision. And what we saw was the entire assembly come together. They stopped what they were doing and they literally came to place to focus their hearts on honoring the Lord. Beautiful, wonderful thing. They followed the biblical practice of establishing an altar. And at that altar, what they did was they came to worship the Lord. They did it exactly. They built it like he told them to and exactly the place he told them to build it. And at that altar of whole stones, they were supposed to make sacrifices. And then we also saw the fact that it had a very, speci very specific detail there, that the law of God was to be written on it. And we made the comparison of the law of God that's written on our hearts. Now, this is mentioned in, uh, in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, and also in 2 Corinthians 3, 3. It says that very thing, that the law of God is written on our hearts. And so what that means is every natural man, every human being has the law, the morality of God written on their heart, meaning that there is an accountability to God. And what happens is one day when we are all judged, we will be judged by God's law that's written on our hearts. And if we have received Christ, guess what? Jesus Christ, he paid the judgment. If we do not, we pay the judgment with our lives. So recognize the fact that God's teaching them something. He's drawing them and they're submitting themselves to him. Then we saw that God had them separate onto two different mountains and one mountain representing the curses, right, of disobedience and the other representing the blessings of obedience. And we saw that Joshua placed himself right in between and he read the law of God to them. He's basically like, look, here's God's expectations. This is what God wants for you. And then we have, we read an excerpt from Deuteronomy chapter 30 where we heard the heart of God for the people. And I'm going to read you that excerpt real quick. 30 verses 15 through 19. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. In that commandment, this, as I command thee this day, to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land which whither thou passest over Jordan to possess it. And listen to this heart of God. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Here it goes. Therefore choose life. Listen to the heart of God that both, ye, both thou and thy seed may live. And what's awesome is that's what they chose. They chose life. Man, we dedicate ourselves to God. So we see a place of surrender and reverence before the Lord. They've got a collective heart of submission to God at this point in time. They've really come together as one. Now, what this would do is it would give them a great amount of confidence. Right? When our church is on fire and people are getting saved and stuff like that, we're like, man, God's good. And we start feeling like, hey, you know what? we got this going on. That's what's happening here. They're at a place right now. But well, you know what? Things are getting prepped and ready. And what's happened is they're actually going to be going forward to defeat the promised land. God told them that was the next thing that they were to do. So what they've done is, with this great confidence, they now are trying to embark upon accomplishing God's will. And what we have to understand is every time God's people embark upon accomplishing God's will, God's enemies will take note. God's enemies will take note, and guess what? They will 
platform themselves and create a way to stop what God's doing. Okay, that's true for the church. That's also true in our individual lives as well. So recognize the fact that for the Israelites and for Joshua, what it is is the the enemy that's going to come against them is going to come in the form of enemy forces. For you and I, it may show up in many, a myriad of different ways, but all of that hell-bent on our destruction. Because recognize, as these come against us, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the opposition that they're going to face. And my heart's desire is the fact that I want to reveal to you that guess what? The very same enemies that they're facing are the same ones that we face. Okay? And we're going to look at the comparison between these two. So this morning in chapter number 9, what happens is we come from a place of dedication. That's where we just finished up, man. Victory, victory, victory. Praise the Lord. They're focused on doing and accomplishing God's will. But at the same time, while they're celebrating and focusing and getting ready to move forward, guess what? The enemies are preparing themselves. And so we're going to consider their enemies and our enemies. We're going to consider, first of all, the origin of their enemies, then the identity of their enemies, then the motivation of their enemies, enemies, and the unity of their enemies. In the message this morning, which is titled, Wickedness Rallies. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. God, thank you for your word. And Lord, you know I have prayed diligently. I have prayed fervently for you to work uh, in this message. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to me through the week. And Lord, helping me work and rework and remove and add and uh, Lord, but uh, thank you so much that I feel confident this is what you'd have me to share. Lord, uh, the only uh, hindrance now is me. So I would ask God that if you please help me to get out of the way, uh, that you might speak to our hearts. God, give us what we need that we might be your people and we might truly have the victories that you intend for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side Jordan in the hills and in the valleys and all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusites, and the, they heard thereof that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. And what we know from Scripture was following the dedication, all of Israel, what they've done is they've now, uh, what do you, what's the word I'm going to say? I think I wrote it down. Regrouped. Yeah. They regroup. They regroup back at a place called Gilgal. This was their base of operations. And what's happened is now they've come here and they're setting their sights on the next victory. They're looking ahead of where it is they're trying to go. God told them to conquer the promised land. He promised that was, or he told them that was what they were to do. And so they are preparing for battle. But while they are preparing for battle, can I promise you that their enemies are preparing for battle at the very same moment. And so Hope Baptist Church, as we are praying for revival as we are earnestly seeking submission to God, as we're trying to do what God's called us to do, listen, can I promise you that the forces against this church and against the gospel are rallying as we speak, right? Kobe was telling me that he was here emptying the baptistry. And there's a place right over there, and they were having a rally outdoors. It's a tattoo parlor. And he said it was just the most raucous music and stuff like that. And he said, here I am at the church and I'm listening to this music that used to be, used to feed my flesh. And I stepped out in that parking lot and it made my skin crawl. It hurt my heart. And I thought, here at the church, just outside, the forces are rallying against God's will. And listen, we can't be disturbed by that or upset by it. We just have to recognize that is the reality of things. That's just the way it works. <laughs> but the point is this. I hope to reveal today, listen, these enemies, they are just exactly the same that we're facing today. They're the same ones that they're facing back then. Now, theirs were physical, but ours are spiritual. And the first thing we're going to notice is their origin. 
the origin of their enemies. And it says, And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side, Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys and in all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon. So first thing I want to point out to you is these enemies, notice this, they're coming from inside of the promised land. It says they're on this side of the Jordan, not the other side. The other side is the wilderness. So these guys are in, in the promised land. So what they are is these are the conquered, the unconquered kingdoms within the promised land. So even though the Israelites are technically in the promised land, praise the Lord, it's only a very small portion of the promised land that they control. Because I want you to realize the fact that, listen, notice God kind of tells us how big the portion is that's not controlled. Notice what he says. He says, in the hills and in the valleys and in all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon. So the landmass controlled by the unconquered kingdoms is massive. And the area that's controlled by God's people is actually very, very small. And I have a map that kind of breaks down the way things will be distributed to the brothers, to the, to the 10, 12 tribes. But notice here, this is the Jordan River running here. This here is, this is the two and a half tribes. But this is all Canaan. And all that's happened is here, Jericho has fallen, and Ai has fallen, and there's a little bit here. So this little tiny piece, I'm not good at estimating that. I don't know, but y'all think that's 3%, 5%? Let's give them 10%. So 90% of the territory is not under their control. Okay? So their enemies, they're originating from within the borders of the promised land. And what we notice is the fact that these enemies... These enemies against God's people, listen, they're going to come from every part of Canaan that has not been defeated. And that's something we need to think about. Okay? So we're in our spiritual promised land. Remember, those areas in our lives that are not defeated, that's where the enemy is going to come. This tells us, listen, the promised land is partially controlled by God's people. But while it's not fully controlled, there's always danger lurking. Always. Always a danger and a potential. And in our spiritual promised land, until we are surrendered to God in complete submission to Him, listen, there are areas of vulnerability where our enemy will strike. He's originating in the promised land. Because understand, they're not in the wilderness. They're in the promised land, and yet they are still in danger. But they're walking with God, and this is awesome. But so their enemies are biding their time right now. They're kind of rallying their forces. They're strengthening their forces. They're planning their attack. But listen, they will, it is not until they have complete victory over the promised land that they will not be in, be in danger because right now they are in danger. But it's not a matter of the, the power of the enemy. It's a, power, it's a matter of the submission to God. Listen, they're, 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 until they're fully submitted, there is a chance that they will be defeated. Always. Because we saw what happened in AI. God gave them the promise, but yet when they went to AI and they were not submitted, what happened? They lost. There's all these, nether, these next guys coming up. And listen, if they're not submitted, they will, they will be defeated. And that's kind of scary. But see, the cool thing is, what does God say in his word? James 4, 7. Submit yourselves. This is the key. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay? So the key there is not the strength of the individual. He simply says resist. What that means is don't give in place. Don't set up a, an opportunity for yourselves to fail. If all you need to do is submit yourself to God's power, submit yourself to his strength, and he will flee from you. Our enemy is only as strong, listen, when our submission is weak. He is only strong 
when our submission is weak. Because when we submit, according to that scripture, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It doesn't say flees from God, it says he flees from you. So you used to be just a chump where the devil's like, (laughs) this is going to be rich. Okay, right, you're going to rebuke me, right. In your strength, Uh uh-huh, sure. You know how that goes. Oh my gosh, we just found ourselves just laid out. We're like, what happened? I thought I had this. But then we submit to God. And I've given the example before. It's like going to the playground with your big brother. And let's say you're going against a 10-year-old and you're five. But your brother's 23. (laughs) Dang, son. Man, we're going to rock. I got nothing to worry about. I don't have to fight. I just to be like, handle it. Boom. Right? I I would hope that Mike wouldn't beat up the 10-year-old. But maybe he did. I don't know. Or whatever. (laughs) How old he was. But the point is this. We can have confidence not because it's us, because it's, because it's Him. But then take note also the way that God describes them. Remember, this is verse number one. He says, And it came to pass when all the kings which were on that side, on this side of the Jordan. Notice He calls them kings. He doesn't talk about the people rallying. He doesn't talk about the armies coming against them. He talks about the kings, the rulers of these spiritually dark pagan kingdoms. And if we relate that to what Scripture says to us about the spiritual wars that we're going to be in, and we go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, when you're there, guess what? From verses 10 all the way to verses 17, it's going to be addressing spiritual warfare. It's going to be talking about the armor of God. But just look at what verse 12 tells us about the war that we're in. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, okay? We're not in a physical battle like they are. We're in a spiritual fight. But against the principalities, against powers, notice this, against the rulers of of the darkness of this world. A ruler sounds like a king against spiritual wickedness. Where? In high places. We're facing off against spiritual kings. We are facing against evil. And you know what's happening? These pagan kings, they see the Israelites as a threat to their power, to their control. Remember, Not all of Canaan has been conquered. In our walk with God, not all of our promised land has been conquered. Not because we're strong, but because we submit to God. And so what's happening here is the fact that when you and I are being used by the Lord to do great things, when the lost world is being impacted by our life, and when our life threatens these kings and the kingdom of darkness, you know what happens? They will come against us because recognize what it says, Ephesians 6, 12, for we, you and I, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world is coming against us, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The enemy is never your spouse. The enemy is never your parents. It's never your child. It's never your brother or your sister or your coworker. It's not them. There's a spiritual fight. And they're just a physical manifestation of what you see that the devil's working through. And if someone is hurting you, guess what? They need Christ to step in and save them out of that mess. If they're saved, they need to be redeemed because they surrender to God. But listen, the enemy is not them. The enemy's not in our home and the enemy's not in our church. He's outside. He's a force that wants to destroy our homes and our churches. And he will take every opportunity that we give him to bring destruction. Listen, he has one goal, to stop the work of God. And so when we are trying our best 
to get our footing, to establish ourselves in the Word of God, to establish ourselves in submission to God. The devil's not like, well, you know, I wish him luck. Hope he pull that off. No. And the more we dig in and the harder we lean into God, the more the opposition will grow. And so what we see is these, these, this desperation of the devil, man. It's based upon what they're, what they're seeing. They're pulling from every weak area in our spiritual lives. So recognize this. If the attack's going to come from within, then we need to establish, check our hearts. Listen, what if I'm surrendered in some areas, but I'm not in some others? What if I'm repentant in some places, but maybe in other areas I'm not repentant? Maybe I've got bitterness in my heart. Maybe I'm jealous. Maybe I'm envious. Maybe I'm struggling with lust. Maybe I'm just, unforgiveness is my issue. What if I'm struggling with these internal things? What if it's judging other people? These are internal areas of weakness. But then there's external, right? What about wrath? Right? Wrath. A filthy mouth, right? We sound like a sailor. Maybe it's immorality. Maybe it's, I don't know, addiction. Maybe it's just laziness. In our physical life, recognize these are the areas of downfall. Remember, the Israelites are in a place of victory. And you, when you're in a place of victory, can I promise you that it's not going to be without some type of opposition. Right. While they are celebrating and preparing to go forward, the devil is going, we got to get ready because we got to stop this. And when you are getting victories in your life, can I promise you, don't sit back on your laurels and go, man, it's going to be peachy keen from here on out. Right. Woo, life's good. Puppies and rainbows from here on out. No. Because I can promise you, he is going to come. It is a principle that's seen over and over and over and over in Scripture. And it's our overconfidence in those areas of our lives that we don't have defeat, or that we don't have victory, that the attack will come. That will be their origin, an open door to destruction. Not only in our lives, but in the lives of people that we love. It spreads to all of them. Why do you think Paul desperately listened to this warning in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 27? He said that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is a cor- corrupt according to the deceitful lust. He says, guess what? You want to know where your weakness is? It's that guy. It's the old man, the one we talked about killing before. There's your problem. And it says here, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, renewed to the word of God, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Whoa! Righteousness and true holiness. Yeah. Not outward holiness. Right? right? Yeah. Put on my suit. Get my Bible. Praise the Lord, brother! <laughs> and live in sin. Right. True holiness. Now, those words, righteousness and true holiness, do those describe us? Man, I hope so. But if they don't, can I promise you? Those areas of weakness in our Christian lives, that's where the attack will come from. We must look within. Then we also, knowing that, he says this, he continues in verse 25. So knowing the attack, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place. That word place means authority. Neither give authority to the devil. 
Leave nothing unconquered through the power of God in your life. Because if you do, can I promise you, that's what he's looking for. He is searching for that weakness. So we see the origins of their enemies will certainly come and manifest themselves from the areas that they've not allowed to God to bring the victory. But next, let's consider the identity of their enemies. So we have the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. And I always like to throw in the mosquito bites, but anyway. But please, so what we're going to do is we're going to do a kind of a quick history lesson. And this might be a little bit boring, but I'm going to do my best to make it interesting if I can. So we have the kingdom of the Hittites. What's interesting about them is this, the Hittites actually used to be a very large kingdom. They actually controlled most of Turkey and Asia Minor in that area there. And what happens, interesting enough, they fell over a few centuries. And what was interesting is in the Bible, they're mentioned, I mean, goodness gracious, they're written mentioned 47 different times. But historically, there was no record of them that people knew of. So what happened, all the biblical skeptics of the day used to say, you know what, well, there's more proof that the Bible is just a bunch of fabrication because those people, there's no history of them even existing. They never existed until the archaeologists were in Egypt and they were digging out some stuff and kicking off some pots and rolling some things over and they found these, these I don't know what they were, stone deals and they had all these inscriptions written on them. And you know what they listed? These people called the Hittites. And they listed specific cities that were in the Bible. And kings that were specifically in the Bible laid out right there. And it was like, well, huh. Interestingly enough, the more they dig and the more skeptical they are, the more they prove the Bible is what it is, which is 100% accurate and absolutely true. So let them keep digging, man. The more they find out, the more it just proves the Lord. So then we see here. The fact that there's, and, and to give you an idea, these guys, these were, they were kind of in the mountainous ranges. Uh, we see in Numbers chapter 13, uh, gives us an input, input about where they're at. Then we see the Amorites. Now, the Amorites show up 87 different times in the Bible. And what's interesting about them is they held territory not only in Canaan, but outside of Canaan. Remember, whenever they first got to the Jordan, it talked about the fact that they had defeated two cities. The king was Sihon and Og. Those were Amorite cities, both of them that fell. So the Amorites were pretty well established. They were actually in the mountainous areas as well, um, and they had strongholds there. And then we look at the Canaanites. There's 68 times they show up in Scripture. Now, what's interesting about them is that the term Canaanite actually, sometimes you'll see it in Scripture, it actually referring to everyone who lives in Canaan. So it would be the entire, all those different groups listed as one. But we're looking more specifically at these. This is the grandson. These are the, the descendants of Noah's grandson. His name was Canaan. And that's this people group here. And they lived in the southern region, regions more towards the coastlines. Then we see the Perizzites. Now, this is a people group that dwelled in the southern plains of Canaan. And what's interesting about them is the very first time they show up in scriptures in Genesis 13, 7. It says, and there was a strife between the herdmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle and the Canaanite and the Perizzite. Per, not Perizzite, sorry. Perizzite. The Perizzite <laughs> dwelled. That'd be kind of a terrible name to be like, Ew. Um, dwelled then in the land. So they lived in the, in the plains. And what's interesting is this is just the very first indicator of tensions and animosity that was formed between them and the inhabitants of Canaan. Then we see the Hivites. They show up 25 times in your King James Bible. And one of the things that stands out about the Hivites is there's an account that we think back of. And we think about it in, in Genesis chapter 34. There's a young woman named Dinah who was one of Abraham's daughters. And there's a young man who spots her and he decides, you know what, she's for me. 
and he actually defiles her. He, he has a sexual relationship with her and defiles her. And this is in Genesis 34, 2. We see a recording of that. It says, And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. As a result of what took place, there would be an awful slaughter of not only that young man and his father, but their army as well. They killed all the men of that country. They were killed by Levi and Simeon, who were some of Abraham's sons. So there's no love lost between that group. Then we see the, the Jebusites. 37 times they show up in your Bible and says, now we, we don't know a lot about them. Okay, We do know they were also in the mountainous range, but what's interesting about them is the fact that the Jebusites were one of those parts where we saw an issue with intermarriage with the Israelites. They were not supposed to do that. And one of the ones that lured them into that intermarried relationships that defiled them before God were the Jebusites. And one other interesting detail about the Jebusites is there was a city called Jebus. And Jebus was the stronghold in the mountains. And it was incredibly powerful. But one day it will fall. And you know what will be established there? Jerusalem. In the very place the Jebusites sat. So what we find here is the fact that these guys, all these individuals, they are, uh, suffice it to say, they've got a, a history with God's people. And not a positive history. They're not like, man, I love those guys. No, they don't like them. And guess what? They don't like their God. Okay? And they don't, meaning they don't like our God. If we see, they serve the God of this world, right? They serve different pagan gods, but it's all the same, the same God. And what we find is they hate, they hate the one true God and anyone that represents him. So in you and I, the more we represent Christ, the more we look like God, the more we sound like God, the more we walk like God, the more that hatred gets pointed at us. And you know what it pictures for us? This different people groups is, you know, the devil, the God of this world, he will appear in a myriad of forms, different names, different clothing, different faces, but always with the same objective, always to stop the work of God because they hate God. Now, this can be in our own personal lives. He's trying to stop what God's trying to do in our own hearts. Right? This can be through distraction. How many of us ever try to read the Bible and get distracted? Ah, oh, man, amazing how it happens. Why is the dog throwing up now? <laughs> really? And why did the fire truck, right? It just happens that way. Maybe it's through distraction. Perhaps it's through, uh, um, let's see, what else? I love, false teaching, right? We get diverted because we start going out and trying to address an issue that draws us off away from God. Maybe it's just apathy. We just kind of get lazy. We don't do what we're supposed to do. But then we also consider this. So that's the internal struggle. But then there's also the external, which is our testimony to the world. And what does he try to do to our testimony? Ruin it. Draw us into lust and into sexual sin disrupting our relationships and causing disruptions in our homes, bringing calamity in one form or fashion. And it's not a coincidence when we set our hearts on serving God that there is opposition coming against us. It's not a coincidence. And you know what's so amazing is the fact that it will be customized for us individually. Because you know what works on you won't necessarily work on me. The devil pays close attention. They've been watching us our whole lives. I believe that the, devil, the demons and devils have got clipboards, and they're like, okay, <clears throat> let's see what works on Brother Eric. All right, that didn't work. That didn't, oh, there was a hit. All right, fellas, circle that one. And there's a highlighter going through. You know what? These are the areas of weakness, because you know what he's looking for, right? He's looking for the origins that he can attack from. He's looking for ways to bring 
destruction. And so as we struggle in these areas of our lives, listen, we've got to recognize that it's an attack that is uniquely designed to bring us down, to stop God's work. And I can tell you, as we speak, they are planning. And whatever weakness you've got that you're not addressing and not dealing with, can I promise you, they are working out a way right now to exploit it. And they're very creative, very resourceful, and also quite merciful. Because we recognize that these unconquered territories, these places that are not surrendered to God, listen to what Paul says to us. Listen to what he says here in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, okay? Wide awake. Be vigilant. Don't stop. Be wide awake. Don't stop because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He is looking for weakness. Weakness. How does the lion hunt? He doesn't pick out the strongest buffalo in the herd. Nope. He doesn't attack the herd. He doesn't attack the body. He looks for the weak. He looks for the work, the the elderly. He looks for the infirm, the one that's divided just a little bit away. And what does he do? He separates them. He separates them and then he destroys them. Why do people, when they start going through hard times, why do they pull away from church? Because the devil whispers, you know what? You don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. You're going to feel judged. People might find out what's going on. You're just going to be, look at all the, the, all the happy people there. You know, it's not, it's, not, it's not what you need. It's a lie. But that division is the way he functions. And it's the matter of finding those areas of weakness. This warning, guys, this is not written to the world. This is written to the church. This is to you and I. And so we need to be able to recognize him when he comes against us. Now, we can if we understand, first of all, the origin of our enemy that he will attack us from areas of weakness in our Christian lives. But we can also recognize his identity. Recognize this. Because when he comes, in whatever form of fashion he may appear, he will have one objective, which is to stop the work of God. If a new friend shows up in your life and they are not seeking God, they will not draw you closer to God. And what will happen is he'll bring in people, man, and they'll just seem like the greatest thing in the world. That new person at work. Hey, you know, I know, I know you're going to go to church on Sunday, but you know what? We're, we're going to the park. We're going to have all this fun. You know what? Could you come? I guess just this once. Recognize who it is. He will appear as an angel of light. Destructive. So recognize we've got to be willing to see him for what he is, and he will, listen, prey upon those areas of weakness in our lives. Now, for some of us, it may be a frontal assault where it's going to be something difficult and destructive. And then for others of us, it will be subtlety. And what we're going to see in next week's message, which is called the wiles of the devil, that's what we're going to see. We're going to look at the subtlety of Satan because we've been dealing with frontal assaults and battles, but now there'll be another tactic that's going to be applied that the enemy is going to use. So in the next, we'll look at the motivation of their enemies. There's verse number one ends this way. It says, they heard thereof. And then verse two says this, that they gathered themselves together to fight. So they heard what was going on, and now they want to fight with Joshua and with Israel. So we see here as these pagan kings are rallying together. Why? Because they have heard of the victories that have been accomplished by God through the Israelites. Verse three, Joshua 9 tells us this, And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and Ai. Words out. Guess what? Now, because remember, before that ever happened, before Jericho ever fell, before Ai ever fell, when they went and they sent the the spies to Jericho, 
You remember what Rahab told them? Listen, this is what she says. Joshua 2, verses 9 and 11, before Jericho's ever even breached. And she said unto, men, unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that, that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants, listen, all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you come out, out, of, Jordan, out of Egypt, and what he and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites, which were on the other side of the, of the Jordan, Sahon and Og, whom he utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. That's what we have. Now... The strongest city in the land, Jericho, is laid waste. And AI has been wiped off the map. Right. So the word is out. So this is in response to what God has done. It's not just based upon the hatred of those people, but it's based upon what has happened. The presence of them in Canaan is sending tremors of fear throughout every corner of this place. As God's testimony of what he's accomplished shakes this land. And in response to the news of this, of this power and what's been accomplished, man, in recognition to the threat that's to them. The threat. The forces of evil prepare for conflict. And did you notice who they prepare to fight against? It says to fight with Joshua and Israel. Joshua being a picture of Jesus Christ. Israel, the individual believer, pictured Within them. So this battle is against Christ and the believer spiritually. Because listen, they are a threat to the power and control that these Canaanite kings have. And can I assure you, listen, as, as we are working and doing things for the Lord and as God is blessing us and, and we're surrendering ourselves and we're learning to walk with God and we're learning to trust His Word and we're learning to walk by faith and we're learning to pray with faith and we're learning to do all these things, listen, that's going to send tremors through the darkness of this world and they are going to respond because of the threat that we pose to the power of this kingdom. This world is under a very dark rule. It has a stranglehold on the youth of our country. People believe lies hand over fist. They won't even believe what they see with their own eyes based upon what they're told. They'll believe what they're told. It's amazing. Suicide rates are through the roof. Children are confused like they've never been confused before. Parenting is a joke in this day and age. It's amazing what the devil has been able to do. Because you know what? Our country doesn't, doesn't know God. And by isolating themselves from him, he gets their hearts. So these spiritual forces of evil, they come against us. And this in response to what God is doing in our lives. Man, our testimony. Man, it, it, the stronger it gets, the more bold we become for Christ, the greater impact we have on Satan's rule over the life of someone. And if you're sharing your faith or you're living your faith in front of someone who's lost, man, he does not want to lose them. He has power and control over them right now, and he does not want to lose it. So he'll do whatever he can. Now, we can't affect our soul, but he can certainly interfere with our Christian walk. And I'm telling you, if we're not submitted to God, he can do mighty destructive things. Because you see, these strongholds that are established in Canaan, many of them are centuries old, very well fortified. They've been there for a very long time, and they will not go down without a fight. 
And you know what's interesting about that? In some of our lives, there are sinful behaviors that we've gotten very accustomed to having a part of who we are. They're deep-seated. They're just a part of who we are. I, I knew a man one day, and he, he, he would say, he always used to say this. He was a Christian. He said, you know, I just, I just tell it like it is, man. Straight shooter. It's not my fault if people can't handle the truth. You ever know somebody like that? I'm just speaking the truth, man. It's not my problem if you're getting worked up about it. Well, what does God say about sharing the truth? Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love. Okay? Now, in doing so, when we do that, what does it say that happens to us? That we may grow up unto Him in all things, which is the head of even Christ. So we look like Jesus when we share the truth in love. So we go, okay. Because recognize, listen, it's never okay to hurt people. That's not why we're on this earth. We're supposed to be healing people. We're supposed to be restoring people. We certainly don't want to hurt people with the Word of God, my Word. That's not what it's intended for. Now, does that mean the Word of God doesn't hurt when you hear it sometimes? Yeah, you know, it hurts. The Bible talks about the fact that it talks about reproof. It talks about rebuke. Two negatives. And the next one says, an instruction in righteousness. So the last one's good. But hey, listen, sometimes the Word of God hurts, not because of what the Word says, but because of the sin it reveals in our hearts. Amen. It's the reality yes. of who we are. But the beautiful thing is, once it does that, right behind that pain Healing. Healing. Because God is a God of restoration. Throughout the Bible, from the beginning to the end, there's a vein that runs. It's restoration. God's heart. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture for us. So listen, as we realize these areas of our lives, and the reason why I share that example is because, listen, we've got to be willing to look into our own hearts. Right? You've got to be willing to take a biblical lens and look at yourself. Because, again, that is an area of weakness. Because the things sometimes that might come out of this person's mouth, they might be true. But because they're delivered with judgment or with anger or with wrath, the truth can cause more destruction than we can possibly imagine. So no longer are we a threat to Satan's kingdom. We're a threat to God's kingdom. We're not effective for God. We're effective for the enemy. Be sober. Be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. That is written to the church. That's us. Be sober, be vigilant. And listen, the more our life threatens the kingdom of evil, the more opposition we will face. But understand, listen, (laughs) we're not in danger to God's enemies if we're surrendered to God. Recognize this. We've examined, first of all, their origin. We've recognized, listen, it can be within us. We've understand their, their identity, which can be in almost any form we can possibly imagine. Then we see their motivation. You know what their motivation is? To stop the work of God. If you're trying to take a step forward for God, I can promise you they're going to do all they can to stop you. But lastly, let's consider the unity of their enemy. It says with one Accord. What we see in this, in this passage is a unified force. Okay? They are coming as one. They are gathered together against a common foe. They're motivated by what it is that they've seen, the good news that's happened in this world. And their loyalty to the prince of this world causes these workers of iniquity to hate God. Now, 
as we understand and look at our world today, we see evidence of this world hating God. You see people's reaction. And what's so sad and what's so heartbreaking, I, I watch videos where people are presented the gospel, and it's so amazing to watch people's just hatred in their response. But when they dig into it, it was never God. It was always someone religious who misrepresented God. And they've got a bad taste in their mouth because some Christian judged them, you know, cast hate or aspersions towards them. And that's not our job. We're to love. We're not to judge again and again and again and again. The Lord, the Lord warns us not to judge. I cannot judge someone's worthiness of God. Can I look at their sin? Yes. But listen, when I look at them, you know what you do? It should break my heart for where they stand. Someone's caught up in sin, man. I'm not going to go, you worthless. Unbel- I can't believe your sin. No. But for the grace of God, I could be me. And they could be pointing fingers at me. But no, I would, what, you know what I would hope for? I would hope that they would come unto me and say, Lord, you know what? I just want you to know that God loves you. If that approach, so many times we want to point out people, we want to judge people. Man, just let them know that God loves them because that's what they desperately desire. We're all born with a hole in our heart and it's the love of God that we desire. It's not religion. It's not rules. It's not laws. It's not standards. It's the love of God. And that's all He's asking us to display. Display the love. Because recognize, this shared loathing of God and His people unifies the enemy. In the New Testament, God describes the collective evil as the world. First John, or John 15, verses 18 through 19. Jesus, Jesus speaking, He says, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Remember who they're fighting against? Joshua and Israel, picture of Jesus in the church. Verse 19, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. The world hateth you. And so it is that hatred that unifies the forces against us. Absolute hatred. And can I promise you, right now, Satan and his minions are assessing our walks with God. They're trying to determine where our weaknesses are. What will it take to stop us? Because you know when we founded this church, when God founded this church, there were people sitting in those seats that are no longer here. Maybe he figured out what it took to stop them. Maybe it was COVID. Maybe it was they just got offended. Maybe he didn't speak to them and they thought they should have. Whatever. People get their feelings hurt over the silliest stuff. You ever notice, if you ever find out somebody's mad at you and you didn't know it? Yeah. Oh my goodness gracious. I had a neighbor. Um, um, it's a quick story. I'm not a neighbor, but I had a, a roommate. I lived in this big house when I was in college with all these guys. And I used to go to work at like, goodness gracious, I came back at like 3 o'clock in the morning every day. I used to load trucks. And every night, the, the, the front door, the glass, all, you know what glazing is that keeps the glass from wiggling? The glazing was all gone. So the glass would go like that. Well, his room was directly above the door. So I would come home at like 2 or 3 in the morning, and I would shut the door. And so he was convinced that I was slamming the door every night to wake him up. And so for months and months and months, when he would leave, he's like, and my room was right by the door, but I was so dead asleep, I never heard it one time. Never woke me up. And months later, one of my roommates is like, dude, that whole thing between you, you, know, between you and, and Tom's got to stop. And I'm like, what? Me and Tom? 
And he's like, yeah, dude. He's like, I'm just so tired of it. That's all I hear about in the house. I'm like, well, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know. He's like, well, he's upset because you always slam the door to get him to wake him up. And I'm like, what, 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 what? And I went and talked to Tom. I was like, Tom, man, is this going on? He's like, no, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, oh, whatever. But what I'm saying is, amazingly, right, there can be, how did I get off on that subject? I have no idea why. I have no idea why the story people doesn't make People, yeah, people mad at you don't know why. Thank you. <laughs> at least someone's paying attention. <laughs> but the point is this. It can be something minor, something silly and little that'll stop people from growing in the Lord. They were coming to discipleship, and one little thing happens. They're gone. And the devil wins. For others of us, maybe we're more established, and the devil goes, you know what? We're going to have to bring the heat. We're going to do whatever we can to trip them up, to destroy the people around them. And I'm telling you what, they can bring unbelievable destruction. I mean, they can rock our worlds. And knowledge of that, it could stop us in our tracks going, so you know what, maybe I don't want to be so close to God because I don't want to get a target on my back. And for some of us, it may stop us. Or at least make us rethink, right? Maybe we won't quite be as bold as we were before. He gets the victory. But see, he shouldn't. Because God's told us something very important in 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And that powerful force that can destroy your family and destroy your life will flee from you, will run in fear. Not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. Are we in submission to God? How do they overcome the world? Listen to what John, 4, John 16, 33, Jesus tells us. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. It's a guarantee. But be of good cheer. I have overcome Amen. the world. Amen. We sung about victory, victory, victory. Man, the Israelites, they're prepared for victory. But the enemy is as well. They are going to come against them. And it's all a matter of us being able to recognize them for who they are. Evil is united by hatred. But you know what unites us? Love. The love of God unites God's people. So as we are going out and we're expressing this love to this broken and twisted world, when we're sharing the truth in love, listen, we must remain dependent upon God's word, Upon God's, upon God's presence and His power, and upon God's Spirit. Because recognize those vulnerabilities will be there until we surrender them to God. And when we surrender them, He can bring victory. The Bible says we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And while we're rallying, preparing to move forward in our Christian lives, can I warn you, we better be doing that because wickedness rallies in our world today. It is rallying. But God's given us the ability to have victory. And we do it one life at a time. Let's work on our holiness. Let's live boldly for the cause of Christ. And let's submit to him.
so that he'll do what we cannot do. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the power of your word. Thank you for the truths that you've displayed to us, uh, Lord, through uh, just amazing, amazing pictures that we get to witness. The book of Joshua has just been incredible for us, and thank you for that. Lord, I pray for, for us as a body, uh, Lord, that uh, we would really look in our hearts with a biblical lens and we would recognize those areas of weakness, those areas of vulnerability where the enemy will come. God, he will manifest in whatever we give him. He's made powerful through our lack of submission to you. Oh, but Lord, through our submission to you, he has made powerless. So God, I pray for this body, the Lord, whoever's struggling with whatever it is they're struggling with, maybe a pet sin, something they've accepted in their life, help them, Lord, to submit it to you. Lord, if it's something that's a besetting sin, help them to submit it to you. If there's someone here today and they say, I don't even know Christ, Lord, help them to submit their heart to you. God, you love this world. And this world hates you. But Lord, love overcomes all that pain, all that destruction. And those broken people of the world can be restored to the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Redemption through the love of God. If you're here today and you've never received Christ, you're watching this online, you're watching it recorded, and you say, you know, I don't know him. I don't even know what it means to be a Christian. 20 years ago, I did not know either. But someone shared with me the truth that he loved me in spite of myself. And they shared a simple verse, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's simple. Call upon the Lord by faith. Trust in what he's offering you and he will receive you and save you. Pay for your sin debt and give you a home in heaven and a restored relationship with him is the sweetest thing of all. So if you want a restored relationship with God, the one who created you, you want to know him and walk with him and you're sorry for what's happened in your life, he's willing to restore you right now with their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, to be restored back to the loving Father that created you for a love relationship, you have that chance right now. I'm going to ask you to, to pray. Repeat after me. There's no magic in the words or the ceremony of the prayers. It's your heart God's listening to. As he calls, you just have to respond with their heads bowed. Repeat after me, dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm so sorry for how I have failed. You, my family, myself. God, I believe you love me. I don't understand why, but I believe you do. I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to please come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven. Lord, thank you for loving me. I'm thanking you so much today for giving me a restored heart, a restored life, a redeemed life with you. God, I thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.